Hey ladies, and welcome to the Water with Lemon podcast. This is Emma Cook, your host, and I am so glad you are here listening today. This is a podcast by a 20-something for 20-somethings in hopes that we can be encouraged, inspired, and challenged in this crazy time of life. So grab something refreshing and let's get going. Today we're talking with Rebecca Bender, author of In Pursuit of Love, founder of the Rebecca Bender Initiative, and creator of the Elevate Academy. Rebecca shares her impactful story as a survivor of human trafficking and how the Lord pursues and redeems while we're still sinners. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Rebecca. Well, hey, Rebecca, welcome to the podcast. I am seriously so excited to have you today. Welcome on. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. Tell us a little about a, a little bit about you, what your life is like these days. Yeah, well, I just, uh, we just had this, my new book come out, In Pursuit of Love, and yeah. it's my memoir of escaping kind of a life of, of human trafficking. And mm. not only did I want to really pull the curtain back and share with people what this looks like in every community across America, especially as someone who was kind of lured off a college campus myself. Yeah. Um, but I wanted people to really know what the day-to-day was like, like how we interacted as a organized crime, quote unquote, family, right? How hmm. the relationships were with the other women, how, um, how bonded you can feel to everybody in the home, which makes, which makes it really hard to run when you hmm. do have the, you know, the opportunity to, um, and so right now, what I have kind of going on has just been promoting the book, getting the message out about the book, um, about God's ability to pursue us, even the, mm. in the midst of our sin, and all of the moments that he kind of, I called it, tapped on my shoulders throughout my time living in, in a really intense, um, very mm. hypersexual, I mean, hypersexual might not even be the word to describe mm. it. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. you're sold for sex. It's beyond hypersexual. Um, but now, you know, nowadays it's been incredible to use everything that the enemy intended for harm, for God's honor and glory, yeah. to spread the message of redemption and hope that, you know, your past doesn't have to determine your, mm-hmm. where God wants to take you. Um, yeah. You don't have to let it define you. You do have an opportunity to say, this is not how my story is going to end. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I get to tell story in all different mediums, which has been really fun for me, whether it's on interviews or in a book or speaking at all sorts of different conferences, women's conferences, youth yeah. conferences, leadership, um, and been working on some screenplays and consulting on a variety of um, projects. So yeah, it's been really fun. It's wow. cool to figure out what you're good at, you know, because yeah. <laughs> it, it took a while. right but it is so cool yeah how God is using you now to be able to you know share your story again on so many different platforms and mediums um because I I just really do think it is so important to talk about um it's something actually that I became super passionate about when I was in high school um started learning a little bit about human trafficking and uh, was just really shocked by how close to home it was. Like grew up mm-hmm. in Houston and Houston okay. was like number one hub for it um, in the U.S. And so just learning so much about it, I just felt super passionate to to speak out about it and uh, did different things to, to do that. And so um, I would love to, if you would just kind of share your story, uh, how, how you got into that and how God brought you out of it. Um, yeah, would you share that with my listeners? 
Yeah, I think there's this big misconception that human trafficking is kidnapped children, hmm. taken overseas. Um, I think, you know, when I tell people that I'm a survivor of human trafficking, they usually say, oh, like the movie Taken. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, I wasn't pulled out by one leg while gripping at the carpet in Europe. My dad didn't have a special set of skills to come find me. I was definitely not sold for a million dollars on a yacht. So no, not really like Taken at all. Um, but I think we all do that. We all envision this you know, people probably heard me say this before, but we all envision this one way that we saw in this one movie that one right. time. And the reality is, is there's actually 25 different types of human trafficking in America alone. Hmm. And so when we only picture one way from a movie, we are literally missing two dozen other forms of exploitation that could very well exist in your town. Hmm. And if we don't know what to look for, then not only are we not go going to identify it, um, and be able to help somebody. But in my story, I also pictured it that way. Like survivors, we grow up in the same culture as all of you. Right. And so when my situation wasn't mirroring what I had seen on TV, I thought, well, I must not be being trafficked. Hmm. I must be in domestic violence. I must have made bad choices. I hmm. must have been one of those girls. And so you self-blame, you feel really embarrassed. Um, hmm. And then shame can really keep us quiet from things that are happening in our lives. And so, you know, just a kind of piggy tail or whatever the word would be off of that for my mm -hmm. own story. I grew up in a small town. I grew up um, in a lumber community, a lot of farms, a lot of lumber. And so just <laughs> normal, all-American, blue-collar family. My dad worked at the local lumber mill. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. She taught aerobics on the side. And... <laughs> Um, yeah, just grew up really normal, skipping rocks at the river, riding bikes to my friend's house in the summer. I'd take a salt shaker out to the garden and pick a tomato and <laughs> just made forts out in the field. And it was really just a normal kind of upbringing. Yeah. I was not raised in a faith-based home. I had a, a praying grandma, but my parents themselves were not living for the Lord at all. And yeah. so I grew up watching them party on the weekends and my dad hide the alcohol when people would knock at the door. And I learned from a very young age that we, we hide secrets in this home. Hmm. And that became just what was modeled for me. My parents would drink and fight and throw things against the wall. And I was an only child. So it, it created vulnerabilities in me of feeling very alone, hmm. very unwanted and very unimportant. Um, especially when my parents divorced and it was a really ugly divorce. And now mm. my mom's, you know, having to work a couple jobs to make ends meet. And my dad's really sinking into his alcoholism. And so just in between nine and 12, really um, some dark years for me, uh, mm -hmm. which, you know, is a formative time in our lives. But by the time I was off to high school, I was, things seemed back to normal for me. My mom had got a great job. She remarried a really great man. My stepdad's an amazing guy. Hmm. My dad got clean and sober. Things all started to turn around by 15, by high school. And yeah. I was a gregarious, fun, active, involved kid. I was a cheerleader. I was a varsity athlete. I was goalie for our local, you know, our varsity soccer team. Hmm. I was on prom court. I was harvest ball queen. Like I just <laughs> was involved in everything. Yeah. I was, I found a lot of 
um, validation and acceptance in being the yes girl and being mm. the fun girl, the girl at the parties that everyone was like, call her, call Rebecca. She'll get it. They called me Becky back then. They call Becky. She'll get us <laughs> here from circle K. And I'm like, that's awesome. Yeah, I will. I'll go for some <laughs> adult and get us a six pack and jump in the back of the four wheel pickup truck after the football game and head to the bonfire. <laughs> I mean, I just, I liked being a part of things. I liked yeah. being involved and I, I liked having fun and adventure and for a long time, I kind of felt guilty about that. And as I've gotten older, I've realized that this adventurous spirit is exactly who God created me to be because mm-hmm. he wanted to use it for his kingdom. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't know how to harness all of my personality and um, gift set, so to speak, in the right direction. And so I think the enemy was real quick to come in and mm-hmm. have me just pursue love in all the wrong places. Boys, drinks, partying, mm. recreational drugs. Um, and so by the time I was 17, I graduated high school a year early on honor roll. I was accepted mm. in Oregon State, had my dorm room assigned. And I was really excited to get out of my small town and yeah. go off to college, kind of take on life. And that's when um, I got pregnant and mm. I had to make a tough decision. I chose to keep my daughter, which... Um, unfortunately had me unenroll from the university because they didn't accept, you know, babies at the time. Now they have lots of dorms Mm -hmm. that let families or single moms come back then they didn't. So I unenrolled and I went to the local community college here in my small town. And, Mm. you know, it was really kind of sad for a little while. I was thinking like, gosh, this, this isn't the adventurous life that I'd hoped when I had pictured getting out of my small town and going off to school. Right. But by the time my friends moved out of their dorm room, they had, um, after their freshman year, they got an apartment, had an extra room and invited me to come up. And I thought, this is going to be it. I finally get out of this town. I go up and live in this college town. I'm going to have fun, meet friends, go to community college up there. Mm-hmm. And things would turn out okay. But when I got there, it was very different. I didn't have the support of my family. Now I'm now an 18-year-old single mom trying to put mm-hmm. myself through college uh, was a lot harder than I think I was expecting. So I was always kind of this like gung-ho, yeah, sure, right. I, can, I can figure it out. <laughs> um, and it was a lot harder than I expected. So, you know, it, those vulnerabilities started to resurface, those ones of mm-hmm. feeling alone and unimportant. And that's when I met the cutest guy. He was funny and he was hot and he wore nice clothes. And so I thought, well, mm-hmm. he must have a good job. And he drove a nice car. So again, I thought, well, clearly he must have a good job. Mm. And he seemed ambitious and he had all these big dreams that he really looped me into we and us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we get here and when we get to do this. And yeah. And he also really took to my daughter. He played with her and we'd go to the park together. And it just felt like finally finally, I'm going to have this family that I think broken nine-year-old me really wanted um, Mm -hmm. subconsciously, but that I wanted for my little girl. And I wanted someone who had ambition and adventure to match Mm -hmm. mine. And and it ended up that he was a con artist. Mm -hmm. And he dated me for six months pretending to be someone he was not Mm -hmm. um, in order to lure me away from my, my support system, my family, my friends. And the day that we got to Las Vegas, he um, forced me into human trafficking. Mm. I think that's the misconception that people look for kidnapping. But according to FBI, actually less than 5% of people 
trafficked or kidnapped in the U.S., less than 5%. Mm. Um, The majority of people are trafficked by somebody they know and trust. 33% actually are trafficked by someone they know and trust. 29% are lured off the internet. Mm. So it's it's never this, um, you know, kidnapped black and white moment. It's trafficking is a gradual expansion of boundaries and an increase in trust. So for six months, I thought that I knew this guy and I fell in love. I'm this 19 year old girl in love with the Mm. man of my dreams. That's what I thought was happening. And it just ended up being very, very different. But I think people, you know, when we define human trafficking, when we're working a case against human trafficking, and now I'm so grateful to work with different law enforcement agencies on cases, but we look for the use, legal definition is to is the use of force, fraud, or coercion in order mm. to profit off somebody in the commercial sex industry. So mm. commercial sex meaning anything, cam girls, pornography, strip clubs, prostitution, um, online escorting, any form mm. of the commercial sex industry, if mm-hmm. force, fraud, or rec- or um, coercion is used. And so when I when we're working a case and we're talking to a victim, we're asking her or him to share their story, and we can identify usually as trained individuals now. Like, yeah. oh, fraud was used at point of recruitment. Mm. And, you know what happened in my case as well. And so you start to pick up where the use of fraud. Um, at point of recruitment or destination, lying about who you are, lying about what's going to happen, lying about where you're going. All of those fraudulent tactics are employed by traffickers. Mm. So we have to know what to look for. Yeah. Yeah. And do you see that um, a lot of girls either are ready to get out because of that? Or like you said, sometimes it is difficult to leave because of certain certain reasons. I don't think, I think when someone's ready to finally run, Mm -hmm. I think that they've had multiple attempts. I think that Mm -hmm. they, you know, you you hit a rock bottom where you start realizing um, that it's not going to get better. Mm -hmm. And it's hard because, you know, I kind of explain it like, you know, for example, and I don't want to you know, you got to read the book. I don't want to ruin the story here, but you know, in one example, one of the women I was trafficked with, they're called wife-in-laws. And so I was, I had, um, Mm. this one woman who became, you know, my best friend for years. We lived together. We were in the trenches together. It's like soldiers at war. You really bond over a lot of, um, Mm -hmm. both the good and and the bad, unfortunately. And, and so she ends up going to prison and I can remember Mm. re-listening to our jail calls when, um, we got them from the feds and, I can remember her kind of like being told, you know, Monday, oh, Monday, we're talking to the lawyers. Oh, Monday, we're going to get you bail. Monday, Monday, Monday. And it hit me and I called her and I said, when did it hit you that like Monday wasn't coming? Hmm. Every week we kept telling her Monday, Monday, Monday. I say we, the trafficker kept telling her yeah, Monday. When did, when did it hit you that like Monday wasn't coming? Hmm. And she said, I believed it was coming for all 13 months. Mm. And so I think that's part of the problem is we hold on to this hope over and over and over again until you start to see a pattern of, wait a minute, that dangling carrot, I'm never going to reach, am I? Or Mm. wait a minute, you saying only one more week or until we get the money back from the move or until we get... And that's when you start trying to run Mm -hmm. Um, And oftentimes that's when 
traffickers become very forceful. Mm -hmm. In another example, I worked with a victim up in Seattle and she said, you know, I'm not really sure if I was trafficked, even though we had a case, um, I'm not really sure I was trafficked. My, my trafficker never hit me. He never beat me. And I said, you know why, Phil, I said her name, you know why? Mm -hmm. Because you always complied with the threat. Mm. What happened, you know, if, if we don't comply, that's when they, that's when oftentimes it become, can become forceful and violent. Um, mm-hmm. But if you're complying with the threat, if you're complying with coercion, if you're complying with the fraud, mm. there's no need for them to get violent. And so it can be all spectrums of trafficking. It doesn't have to be just beatings and kidnaps and handcuffed to the radiator. Um, because I think what we're also forgetting, our, our culture forgets, is that there's a, this other side of the equation, which is the demand for sex for sale. Mm. And so in our country, in our culture, and all over, not just ours, but I mean, you know, we're talking about domestic exploitation specifically. Mm-hmm. So when we look at what sells in America, mm. well, sex sells, right? Sexy sells. So young women, 19-year-old, 20, 23-year-old girls beaten and handcuffed to radiators, like that's not sexy. That doesn't sell. Mm-hmm. So the traffickers try to use everything they can to not to make the product sellable. Mm. And that's the point. This is a business to them. These are products mm-hmm. that they need to sell over and over without re-upping their supply. So oftentimes traffickers will beat you where not on your face. Mm. Um, that's not to say that that never happens. I was beaten in the face often, but you know sometimes traffickers will beat beat women where the clothing's on so people can't see. They need to be sellable. They have to take a sexy photo. Mm. Um, and so we forget that. Like sex sells creepy, weird, handcuffed to radiators and thrown on dirty mattresses. That's not, that's not sexy for people. Yeah. Hmm. So how do you keep victims in mental chains and scared of the threat without, you know, physical harm in order to keep them in compliance? That's, that's trafficking. Hmm. There are so many just like myths and things that people are believing, um, about, about what it might be, uh, and, and so is there anything else maybe that you would um, warn uh, my listeners about or just, just things that we can kind of keep our eyes open for? I think there's several things we can do. Um, you know, personally, to stay safe, you're going to want to just make sure that you really know who it is that you're um, in a circle with who you're mm-hmm. talking to online, who's sliding into your DMs. If the promise is too good to be true, it probably is. I know that's yeah. the old adage we hear everyone say, but that that really is the truth. Um, mm-hmm. Get to know, make sure that the new people that you're talking to, that you're dating, really are who they say they are. The internet can actually be really good use of investigating, making right. sure that someone is who they say they are. But I think the other thing that's really important for young, the next generation, your age to remember Mm -hmm. is that we have to take a stand against the hypersexual culture. Mm -hmm. We cannot normalize or glamorize pornography. We cannot give in to a system that objectifies and exploits women and their bodies. Mm -hmm. How are we normalizing and glamorizing a hypersexual culture ourselves? Mm -hmm. You know, there's a part in my book, um, where I talk about Halloween in Vegas mm-hmm. and how all these young girls show up 
Um, it's like the one day of the year where everyone feels like you can wear the sexiest costume possible and get away with it. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, Tina Fey makes a joke, look, sexy corn, right? Like talking about <laughs> Halloween. And what I remember though, in those moments, these girls dressing up in, you know, the most revealing clothing they can and thinking it's okay. Cause it's Vegas and it's Halloween. Yeah. But what I remember is my trafficker leaning over, pointing to a group of young women that were dressed like that. And he leaned over to me and he said, do you see those girls? They wish they could be you. Mm. They wish that they could be you. You get to do that every day. You get to be like that every day. You're brave. You're courageous. Mm. And so the, the lie that's implanted is that being sexy and being desired Um, for only your looks or only to be objectified is somehow empowering. Mm. But the the actual definition of objectification is to be used as an object. So it's the opposite of empowerment. And somehow our culture, your your generation, my generation, we've kind of fallen for it a little bit. Mm -hmm. So I think as believers, as women that are really wanting to strive to live for the Lord, it's about how do we push back on culture a little bit? How can you live your best life without being objectifying and exploiting? Mm -hmm. How can we not glamorize hypersexuality um, and really be like walkers of of Christ? How can we be followers of Christ Mm -hmm. and still, um, you know, be believers in, in the world, be of the world, but not be in the world, but not of the world. You know what I mean? How do we, how do we do that? How do we attract people to want to be, you know, live for Jesus and not give in to the enemy trying to really infiltrate hypersexuality at the same time? I think there's Mm -hmm. really a balance. And I think all of us have our own lines of what that's going to look like. Um, Because on the opposite side, you know, I grew up, the only Christians that I knew growing up was like my grandma and her friends. And I thought, Hmm. I don't know that I want what you're selling. Like yeah. I don't, you know, I'm not trying to be rude. I love my grandma and I love her friends, but I thought, man, I want to be like fun and hip and cool. I want to wear cute clothes. I want to go do fun <laughs> things. And I thought that if I had, if I walked with Jesus, that I couldn't have any of those things. And that's such yeah. a lie from yeah. the enemy, like yeah. such a lie. And I think there is a line between being really hypersexual and glamorizing um, sex for sale, especially as it comes to pornography Hmm. As it comes to turning away when maybe someone you're dating looks at porn and you're thinking, oh, it's no big deal. It's harmless. It's not harmless. Mm-mm. And a twenty good 25% of those women on those photos do not want to be there. And we just don't see what's happening behind the camera. And so mm-hmm. we cannot continue to give in to this demand of sex for sale. Because eventually people that, you know, porn is a monster. It's an addiction in our brains that um, eventually has to get... Uh, more extreme and more intense and more frequent, just like any drug, just like any addiction Mm. in order to fuel um, that monster. And what eventually happens is buyers oftentimes buy girls like me then. Mm. And so there's this saying that I've heard. It's like, not all people that watch porn become buyers of, become buyers of, you know, of trafficking and trafficking. Mm -hmm. Not all, not all people who watch porn become buyers, but 100% of buyers have watched porn. Mm. And so I think we have to be thoughtful around, we don't actually know how our brains are going to respond to, to pornography. And so we need, we need to be thoughtful. Mm. The other thing most young women might not know is, um, you know, when you Google the term pornography, mm-hmm. what comes up is not just like sexy photos of young women. 
Hmm. What comes up now, what's the number one search when you type it and comes up is hardcore smut pornography of people being strangled. Hmm. And if that is the first connection that a 13, 11, 12-year-old boy has with arousal, there's actually, Hmm. it it forms a connection in their brain that's unhealthy. Hmm. And so relationships, a normal, healthy relationship may never actually be able to connect until there's some some therapy that's taken place from, from what's happened as a young person watching that type of pornography. Mm-hmm. And so I say that to just keep that in mind. Right? I have a 20 year old daughter, she's off at college. Um, and I think, you know, we never want to, I never want to tell people what to do, but I think you need to have all the facts. You need to have mm-hmm. all the facts of this really extreme hypersexual pornographic culture that we're living in. And although young me- women are less likely to dabble in it, young men are. And so how do you form healthy relationships um, when we know that this is just the enemy creeping at our door? Mm-hmm. How do we hold it back? How do we set our, our boundaries? How do we keep strong identity and who we are and who God's calling us to be? And I think that's the, that's the journey we're all on, right? To figure yeah. that out. In our lives. Yes. And, and I've, been wondering, you know, what that was like for you as far as like, when did you meet Jesus? When did kind of rehabilitation start for you? I got radically saved in the middle of my trafficking and delivered from drug addiction at the altar. Wow. Yeah. And it set me out on this really kind of interesting journey because then I was trafficked for another three years filled with the Mm. Holy Spirit. And I can remember in the beginning having moments of grieving the Spirit and having moments of seeing things um, in the spirit that kind of freaked me out a little bit. And mm. I can remember moments of praying for myself, interceding on my own behalf um, at times that were really dangerous. And I can remember like seeing Jesus in my driver's, in my passenger seat while I was driving home. And I just would pray mm. like, God protect me in the name of Jesus. Cause I knew I was going into a really um, scary situation. And so when I finally was able to run you know, big federal raid happened. My trafficker goes to prison. I run one afternoon before he gets his plea deal um, because I I knew that he wouldn't be able to chase me this time because I had Mm. ran and he had came to my small town and found me before. Um, And so when I finally, finally gave my life to God for good, like, okay, this is it. I am pursuing mm. you. I'm, pursu- I'm pursuing him instead of vice versa. <laughs> That's why we named the book In Pursuit of Love. When I kind of felt like I gave it all up um, to choose the call of God, to pursue all that God had for me, mm. that's when I felt like the transition and the journey of transformation really began because it was now me fully surrendered, mm. fully surrendered. Come what may, I'm in. I'm 100% in for you, God. Mm-hmm. It can't, nothing could be worse than all that I've already lived through. That's kind of how I felt like, what could be worse? I I could become homeless. Oh, wow. I already am sleeping on couches with an eight-year-old. Look at that. What could be worse? I have trauma. Oh, look, I already do. PTSD. Mm -hmm. You know, what could be worse? I go to jail. Well, check that off the box. That's happened several times. So I just felt like I'm in. I'm 100% in. And it's really hard to break habits. God isn't this bibbidi-bobbidi-boo fairy godmother that's like, you give your life to Jesus and somehow it's like uh, suddenly your mind works different. You have amnesia and you don't have any of these other experiences (laughs) and memories that pop up. You know, it doesn't work like that. And I can remember, you know, getting married and feeling like um, I have to perform. Mm. Um, I can remember, you know, 
having triggers as a new mom, feeling like um, I needed to protect my kids mm-hmm. from anything, even even healthy things. Um, and I had to start really retraining my brain. You know, mm-hmm. I, I love the scriptures that tell us take every thought captive and subject it to Christ. Well, putting something under subjection means mm-hmm. to analyze, right? And so it's mm-hmm. like cha- being thoughtful of my thoughts, being really intentional about what I'm thinking on, mm-hmm. changing the channel of my mind if I have to. Um, I can remember this one time I got really angry at this girl at church. <laughs> she was like super offended about everything, right? She's gluten-free. We all can't eat gluten-free. I'm like, girl, bye. Ain't nobody doing that. You, you can be on your gluten-free diet. I'm eating gluten. She'd get so offended. Like everything she did, she was so offended all the time. And I knew she wanted to go be a missionary and do all these things. I'm thinking this girl ain't doing nothing because she offended if the wind blows, okay? <laughs> and I remember I was her, like, we were friends. We were in a circle of friends. And I thought, you know, I'm going to do the nice thing and write her this letter encouraging her, which I still <laughs> shows my immaturity in the Lord. But so I wrote her this letter, like hoping she would hear my heart of like, I really want all that God has for you too. But this is yeah. like a character flaw that you need to work on. <laughs> well, that didn't go well. And we were at the church nursery, both getting our kids out. And this girl shoulder checks me walking through the door. I'm like, girl, I will go back to jail. You do not know me. Is what I thought. <laughs> I'm in church. Like, can you imagine how embarrassing? <laughs> and so later, um, her husband sends me uh, a message on Facebook, <laughs> like rebuking me. And I about flipped. Ooh. I was like, who does this man think he is? He is not my pastor. He is not my husband. If you got a problem, you go to my husband. You don't come at me mm. sideways, homie. You don't know me. And I like flip. I'm not, <laughs> I wish I was lying, but I'm not. I got so angry. I legitimately wanted to fight her. Yeah. Like all I could think about <laughs> was, fighting, was her. fighting her. Like I wanted to grab her and li- like literally fight her. It's all I thought about. <laughs> and I remember my husband saying to me, like, honey, you need prayer. Like, this is not normal response to this. And because I'm in a full-blown rage. <laughs> like, I want to burn her house down. I'm like, I'm done. I'm like literally, I'm someone else. It's, it's embarrassing. <laughs> and so I go over to my friends and for prayer. And she was like, Ooh, what's going on? She could tell from seeing me. She started praying over me. And I'll never forget, she said. There have been men who have overstepped their bounds, like their boundaries in your life as this, as you feel this guy has done to you. Hmm. And there have also been times when men have not come to your protection as Hmm. you feel like your husband's not doing right now. And you have partnered with rage as your protector for most of your life. Hmm. And it's time to let him go. Jesus wants to be your protector. Man, that was so true. Hmm. And so she just bound the spirit of rage that had taken root in my heart. Um, and God had allowed this thing to kind of stir the pot, so to speak, that, that would lure the spirit of rage kind of out yeah, of me yeah. so that we could, we could get it out for good. And hmm. it's a word, you know, what happened after that though, this, I mean, you're talking about transforming habits and transforming your mind and, um, it didn't immediately go away. Mm-hmm. I still thought about how angry I was at her and I had to purposefully change the channel every day, like start thinking about something else. When I think about her, 
I would start speaking life over her. I'd start speaking blessing over her. And it got easier. It went from like thinking about her every hour to maybe like twice a day and then once a day and then once a week and then once a month. And now I only think about it when I tell the story. So mm. it's, it's not instant as I guess what I want to encourage people to remember that it takes work and it takes effort and it takes actually doing the things the word says to do. Mm. <laughs> Just take your thoughts captive. Yeah. You actually <laughs> have to like do those things, yeah. right? <laughs> Who knew? I'd, I read yeah. the verse. Is it aren't they better? Is it like a magic spell? <laughs> still um, waiting. No. Still waiting. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is so true. And it's it was God's you know God's design for you to to bring out some of those things that maybe had still been in your brain, right? That you weren't able to retrain to be able to say, okay, you know, because that's how good He is to to take stuff that is still ugly in us and, and transform it. Right. And so it's yeah. so cool how God, um, has continued to do that for you. And so what would you say has been maybe just something that is really cool that God has done with your story or something that you have felt like God has really been like, Hey, I'm using you, you know, like you went through a lot of crap and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm using your story for my good. I mean, there's been so many things. We've trained now over 100,000 FBI, undercover cops, law enforcement, prosecutors. We've just Mm -hmm. trained all over the nation to people, uh, professionals that have an ability to intercept. And and so you see that. You see the responses. We've got to work cases from some of those um, organic relationships that have developed. So taking Mm -hmm. the stand, testifying as a human trafficking expert in trial, just like a blood splatter expert is sometimes called to trial during things or a fire expert and arson expert, you know, mm-hmm. um, getting to take the stand for several trials now has been, um, just amazing to see mm-hmm. that God's used not only my story, but my willingness to go into this field oh, yeah. um, and learn about things that I would have never known about if I just went and got a, a normal, like a regular job, I wouldn't have known about all the stuff I've learned in this field. And so mm-hmm. I'm really honored. Um, I created an online school for other survivors that wanted to figure out their now what, like you run, but now what, you know, and mm-hmm. um, yay, you're, everyone thinks like, we're going to rescue those girls. We're going to give them Jesus and their GED and it's all just going to magically come together. And you're like, uh, no, that's not how it works. So I wanted to help other women start exploring what they were really gifted and called to do career-wise. And so we started this online school and we've had, um, we've had over 675 women go through our online program. Wow. So seeing um, women really start to pursue the call of God on their own lives, that's, that's been awesome to watch. So all of that and, and then other incredible, just crazy things, just doors open here or there. And, and I think, you know, these are things you can't do on your own. These aren't opportunities I can push open. Um, I have no social capital. I'm a girl from this tiny little farm town that was you know trafficked into prostitution. I don't know anybody. I don't got any money. Like... <laughs> this is only Jesus that could do the things that have happened. And so what I would love to just encourage people to remember in their own lives, they might obviously not relate with being trafficked, but we can all relate with being ashamed of something maybe we've done. Uh, we can all relate with having some character flaws that we don't know how to change in our own lives, some habits that we don't know how to fix. Hmm. Um, and sometimes I think we all can be guilty of not believing that God can actually do anything with me. Hmm. 
and thinking, but who am I? And I don't know anyone, God, and I don't even know that industry at all. How would, I don't know how law enforcement works. I don't know how trials work. I don't know how script writing and screenplay writing. I'm from tiny little farm town in Oregon. I have no clue. And yet, mm-hmm. and yet God. And so dream big, shoot for the stars. You know, first mm-hmm. Corinthians two, nine tells us, no, eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind could imagine the plans that God has for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That means if you can dream it, he has more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And Gideon said the same thing. He's Gideon said, who am I, God? I am the youngest of my tribe and I'm the lowest of the tribes. I'm the lowest mm. of the tribe and then the youngest within it. Who am I? And God says, stand up, mighty man of valor. Mm. And he became a, you know, a great judge in the land of Israel. And so don't fall um, for, your, for less than. Don't fall for all good enough. Like pursue all that God has for you. Live with no regrets. Jump for the stars. Watch how he will catch you. Like it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what you've been through. God has a call on your life. Find out what that is and go after it with all that's within you. Hmm. You will never regret pursuing the call of God ever. You'll never regret it. You'll learn along the way and you'll you'll fall short and you'll mess up. We all do. We're humans. But yeah. he's expecting it and he's making time. He's like, you know, giving giving grace in that timeline because he knows you're gonna um we're just human beings of course we will Mm -hmm. yeah i want to see all women go after all that god has yes thank you for that encouragement and just it can be so easy to let the enemy just find those areas where where we are weak um and and keep us from doing those big things that god is calling us to do and so um your story is such a story of being able to um, say, heck no, Satan <laughs> yep. and going for, for what God has called you to do. So, um, I wanted to ask you, are there any just kind of like resources or things that you recommend, um, regarding this topic just to, to be able to learn more, um, things like that? Oh, there's so many. Um, actually we have a, uh, there's a website called elevate-academy.org forward slash resources. I say that because we put it on Elevate, um, the online school that I run, we put it on the, on that website in order to help um, people. But there's lists of books to read. There's documentaries to watch. There's websites that you can learn. But I think one of the other great things that um, we've done on our website, Mm -hmm. RebeccaVender.org, real easy to find, is we have this um, tool called Find Your Lane. And it's a free, Mm -hmm. fun, interactive quiz. I tried to put a lot of my personality into it. So you get (laughs) to answer these really funny questions. And then at the end, it kind of gives you where you score the highest in the fight against human trafficking. So are you called to outreach or intervention, policy reformation, demand reduction, international um, prevention, awareness, all of the different lanes. And so once you take that test, it kind of sends you then not only the handout on all the different lanes and it kind of defines all of them. Very brief, just this really quick little paragraph. But Mm -hmm. then it has other nonprofits listed that really Mm -hmm. thrive in those specific lanes. And so it helps point you to some other places that are doing like really good demand reduction work or really good policy work. Um, But even more than that, Zondervan, our publisher, went even a step further and we created a five-minute video. Um, Me 
just kind of vomiting all I have about prevention. Yeah. And so we get, we have five little short videos for each lane. You don't have to watch them all. You can just watch the lane that you score highest in or the one you're the most interested in. So we try to make it easy, concise, quick. We know people are busy. We know we all don't have a ton of time these days. Um, but take the fun quiz, read the little handout, watch the five-minute video, and get involved in, in whatever area that you know, you're feeling passionate about to learn more. Mm-hmm. That is so cool. I really appreciate you doing that. And, and it makes it more um, like you feel like you can be involved, you know, because sometimes it's like, wow, you know, I really, yeah, I do feel passionate about that. Yeah, I would love to help, but it's like, how do you do it? You know, right. I can re- I can Google maybe, like you said, nonprofits in the area or maybe try to volunteer, but it's not, it doesn't always work that, you know, there's so many different ways that you can. And so thank you for doing that. Yeah. And it can be as little as, you know, just learning a little bit about it. So you know what to look for and you know, you know, the hypersexual culture we're in all the way to starting a nonprofit, working in nonprofit, getting your degree in development, right. Working for, you know, a giant major company and outreach and policy reformation. Like it can be literally as small to volunteering once in a while to, you know, like, Oh yeah, I'll go help at this annual gala by greeting people. Right. Great. Like all of it matters. It's, (laughs) It's it all matters. We need every person doing from as little to as much as they're called to do. So yeah. um, minimally, just learn about this issue and know that it exists in your town. Know um, what to look for to stay safe for you and your friends, but also what to look for to really hold back the gates of hypersexuality um, that's happening all around you. And don't you know, don't be a part of it. Don't mm-hmm. you know refuse to say no. I don't feel like getting dressed up like sexy corn for Halloween. I'm not going to give in. Yeah. To- <laughs> Being the one that a trafficker can point at for some trafficked girl and say, see, they yeah. were, I'm not going to be a part of that. Sorry. Let's yeah. be something else. You know, we can. Yeah. That's we can so true. It. it starts with something simple like that, choosing not to, to dress like that or, you know, being aware of, of how others are seeing you like that. And so, totally. yeah, I, I, I love that. And thank you for just encouraging us in that. Um, and helping us to understand a little bit more about it. I would love if you would just kind of end us out with, you know, what's something, um, just any encouragement you have uh, for us as 20-somethings, maybe something that you wish you understood as a 20-something. Um, yeah, just something that you feel like God might be uh, wanting you to share with 20-somethings. Man, I just love this age. You guys are so awesome. Like I said, my daughter's 20. She's in college. She's a junior at Cal. and. Um, nice. I think when you're that age, it's really hard to figure out like, what is my call? I don't even know what God has for me yet. I I barely know what I want to major in, let alone (laughs) like the call of God on my life. Right. So I would just (laughs) encourage you to try it all out. Just try it all out. Mm -hmm. Doors that open, go through them. When something opens, you know, figure out, what it is in there that makes your heart sing. I kind of joke with my daughter, like Marie Kondo, your life, right? Like, does <laughs> yes. this spark joy? No. Turn it, then say no, thank you. Like you tried it. Thank you for that opportunity. And then you try something else. And yeah. as, as doors open and as you move through life in the next five to five years of your life, you're going to really start to see what you like. And yeah. so don't be, don't be um, scared, I guess, to just try things out. Try it all, fit, you know, put your hand to the test, see what it's like. If it doesn't spark joy, that's totally okay. That doesn't mean you're a failure. This is the year. This is the time to really Mm. 
try it all, figure out what you're good at, figure out what makes your heart sing, figure out what God's wanting you to pursue. Um, and so there's going to be a lot of trial and error and that's okay. Don't beat yeah. yourself up. Just be like, cool, that wasn't for me, but at least I gave it a shot. And you know what? God will use all of that. God mm-hmm. never punishes us for trying to be obedient, even if we get it wrong. Never. Mm-hmm. He's mm-hmm. so blessed that we even try. He's like, oh, you're so cute. Look at you trying <laughs> to follow me. I love that about you. And I'm going to bless you simply because you're trying. Um mm-hmm. Sometimes they're like, but I've heard people say like, well, what if I get the voice of God wrong? What if I don't hear him right? Like, do you think God's the kind of God that's like, you didn't hear my voice right? One part, you know, parking ticket for you. You're like, (laughs) that's not not how God works. God's like, man, you got it. You got a little bit wrong, but I'm so blessed that you're trying to follow my voice that I am still going to work this out for your honor and glory. And um, for for his honor and glory, right? Yes, like that's yes. He's a good he's a good God, and we can we can trust him. Uh, so keep just trying things out. God's excited. He's in this with you. He wants to walk on this journey with you. This isn't about getting to something. It's about like developing relationship along the way. Uh, the last thing I'd shared with just that that in mind is um, actually had a really great intern from college once share this with me, and it radically shifted the way I thought about God, she said, if you woke up today and your five-year-old was suddenly 20, would you feel sad? And I said, yeah. She's like, yeah, you'd feel like you missed out on her first day at high school or her Mm -hmm. first prom or her first car or moving into into her dorm room. I said, yeah. And she said, that's how God feels about you, trying to rush to your calling. And he wants to enjoy that journey of of watching your first car and moving you into your first dorm. Like mm. the the journey is just as important to develop relationship with your father. Mm. Um, it's it's just about that. It's all about relationship. It's not about accomplishing some task. It's mm. about developing relationship along the way. Mm. That is so powerful. Thank you for sh- for sharing that. And it's you know it's so true that we try to rush through to just get to the destination, right? But he is so in the journey with us and he's not upset when we mess up along the way because he knows he's he's there. He he already saw where we would mess up and uh, it's not like he enjoys seeing us mess up, but he's he's with us through it all. And so, yep. And he knows so much better how our brains work. Sometimes I used to beat myself up about all the thi- all the mess ups I'd make or like, ah, oh, foot and mouth again, God, when will I ever, you know? <laughs> And he just reminded me, like, I can remember one day him saying, Miha, you don't think I know how your brain works more than you do? Hmm. I know how much your childhood has infected the way you think way more than you even realize. Like, I'm so proud of you for as far as you've come. Last year, you wouldn't have even recognized that this was a problem. And look at you today, recognizing how much of a problem it is. <laughs> he, cele- he celebrates the progress with us. So... Yeah, don't don't give in to the lies that God is holding something back or he's trying to hurry you up or he's mad at you for falling short. Don't believe that lie. Bind that in the name of Jesus. Get behind me, Satan. My God is a good God. He celebrates my progress. He knows more than I do why I do this. He is here for the journey, not the destination. You just speak truth back um, mm. to the lies. Mm. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you so <laughs> much. Having Seriously. It is so fun. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Um, just for the encouragement. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This was fun. 
Thanks for listening in today. It was so refreshing to chat with Rebecca Bender and learn how the Lord restores and draws us to himself in the midst of darkness. So hop on over to the show notes to check out Rebecca's book, which is called In Pursuit of Love, and visit the Elevate Academy to try the Find Your Lane quiz. Also, a couple of reminders. You just have a couple more days to take advantage of our closeout sale on this sweatshirt. So just enter the code CLOSEOUT at checkout. That's capital C-L-O-S-E-O-U-T for 50% off of a Comfort Colors Water with Lemon sweatshirt. I know you guys are getting cozy. Secondly, if you're a human being, you've probably been affected by the coronavirus, and in this global movement, it is imperative we remember the Lord is sovereign and worthy of our trust. So check out the show notes to download my free guide to being still, and my hope is that it will help you wait on the Lord and reflect on His goodness and power in this time. Lastly, would you consider joining my Patreon team? Because right now I'm asking donors to give $5 a month to help me cover the cost of running the show. I'm so thankful for those of you who have supported me so far, and I look forward to continuing to put out content because of you. Please let me know how I can be praying for you during these Rona days, and happy Easter week. Stay fresh, my people, and wash your hands.